Alright guys, I need y'all to um, know that um, I was born on November, the 1st of November, on uh, the last day of Diwali. You look that up, what the last day of Diwali is, is Diwali is the festival of lights, and um, I was born on All Saints Day, um, and I'm a number 9 life path. Um, I was born in on a place called Gujarat, once was in Artha. Sounds like Antarctica. I'm gonna go in deep. Listen to, listen to my story. I respect women who tell their man the truth. A stupid hoe lets their man cheat, lie, and do whatever, all for a little bit of attention, codependency, and attachments. So when people can't physically kill you, they will try to kill parts of you inside. So when you um, tell them and you're vulnerable to people, they take those things, manipulate it, project things not for you, and take the, the things for you for themselves. That's like a whole different type of, you know, manipulation that people get into that is uh, toxic, you know, just toxic. Peace. Yeah, it's uh, a little story. Another story about me. It's not really a story. It's like a true, real-life thing that happened. And that's like... Alright, so I was born in India. I came here like 1990-something. 1990s, alright? And um, my first experience with racism was here in the U.S., right? In the apartment building I was living in, the superintendent was like we caught must have called him or something to exterminate the bugs in the um that just showed up or something my parents you know must have called him so he said to me um you know you guys brought the bugs and you guys eat you know cockroaches and blah 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 and that was my first like experience with um really racism and all that and then after that, it was in school with some, you know, a pale dude. And you could tell that he, this guy, this little boy was, you know, getting it from his household because he didn't know what he was talking about. He was just saying, like, go back to your own country. But he didn't even know what he was saying. You could tell he was just repeating it from what he heard at home and stuff it's because, um, you know, he was just, like, judging me about... um nothing and um you know not it didn't offend me it just made me like realize like what it is and how people like think and stuff like that it wasn't like when you know who you are and what you, what you you know um that you love yourself and stuff it doesn't matter how many people tell you you eat a cockroaches or you're this and you're that and that and this you know but um do i think that every white person after that was a racist against me no do i think that every black or brown person is racist against me no so um that's a weakness you know for people to take those things um on is is a learning lesson for you and what what you're here for because i've been called um a midget and a crackhead for a major i let like a, a friends group like call me these words thinking yeah i'm strong enough to take it you know that doesn't mean anything to me but yeah when you're using a word in a derogatory manner and you're using it to hurt hurt somebody it does stick to people you know it um you know i did eventually um lose all my friends and uh didn't uh find myself and i found myself around crackheads and doing doing weird shit like that so um yeah i'm saying it and um, it's the truth truth hurts i don't give a fuck and um also um i was assaulted at a 7-eleven corporation yeah cor i said corpseration because that's what it is these are dead entities um, working as a, uh, putting a label as a boss on uh, their titles. They're not a boss. They're just like um, 
a play figure and a a figure of imagination that um a, another dead entity has given them a title of a boss to hire someone like me who has full energy and capacity to make something that is nothing great you know so um i was doing 711 a favor by um working for them right and for uh 711 to um not do anything about a customer coming in a drunk um what you call a brown lady or black lady whatever you guys want to say i'm not saying it i'm just calling her a lady a drunk lady and a couple came in to mess with me at the store i was listening to bro sanchez panel um on my headphones and she said get off your phone i don't have time um for you to be on your phone to me so i said here's your change goodbye you know and then she just um stayed there to argue with me. i said i'm um I, here's your change if you're in a rush here you go goodbye so she starts change she starts um taking the blunt effects on the counter and starts throwing it under the glass that's um that's in between us because they put a glass because the covid so she's throwing shit under the glass at me um so i was like you know i thought you were in a hurry i think um you you asked me to get off my um headphones because you were in a hurry to leave and now you're not in a hurry to leave so by the third or fourth blunt effect she she um threw at me i threw i threw the the sixth one back i should have sprayed her fucking eyes with the blunt effects but you know i took the her fucking little little beating but she she took she grabbed me she came around the counter her man is watching all of this happen like thinking i don't know what he is thinking being with a a like a a thing like that because that shit was not I think she was a grown ass woman. She might even be a mother, but she was beating me like I killed somebody in her family or something. She was just taking out her um her anger on me basically. She was bust she held my hair and was um took my whole head and was uh trying to split my head open on the concrete and all the customers in there was just watching. And I was being set up by a, a dude that um I I gave him I gave him a job at 7-Eleven. I got him hired there so he could sell weed there to customers. But he wanted to be a big shot. And um, he probably got, I'm pretty sure he got these people to come uh, fuck me up at at my job job place. I'm just trying to make a couple of bucks to, just for weed, to be honest. I was just working to get some weed so I don't have to ask these greedy ass dudes who uh, wants sex for some weed and shit like that all the time. Um, you guys can't even share weed. How are you going to share motherfucking anything else in this world first? Like ganja. It comes from motherfucking India. Motherfuckers, yo. You better put some respect on my fucking name. You piece of shit motherfuckers. And I swear to God, that lady who fucking beat me like that, yo. I'm sure the universe is going to take care of you. I don't need to go around being scared of every black woman, couple, and everything. Because some some lady doesn't know how to fucking love herself. And doesn't have nothing better to do on a fucking Friday night than to come to 7-Eleven to, um, to uh, fucking beat on me, basically. Like, motherfuckers out here don't like my existence that much. Like, that's why I made this podcast so motherfuckers everyone around the world can hear me and you're gonna see me more and more and more and more peace out in a world full of lies to question something is dangerous in a world full of uh of people who profit off of your self-esteem you know it's a dangerous thing to be yourself So, what I'm trying to say is don't be afraid to be yourself and to question things in your world. Because how are we going to make a change in our society without questioning things? Without asking further, um, a question is almost like elaborating on what you know, you know, 
is just going further to research what you already know in your mind's eye to be true, right? So people who are trying to stop you from asking a question, we should be looking at that as not um, a normal thing to in our society anymore you know it's it's come time like there's way too many things that are happening under our noses um you know right in front of our faces but not talked about scandalous things you know and for it to um go away or to help those who are victims of certain things we need to question things okay and if we that if we are not allowed to question things we have to ask why you know because that's where the answer lies at the end of the day that's where the answer lies because um the people in charge the authoritative people in charge talking about like our um undercover authoritative figures know a lot of things and they also um prevent um the rest of the public from knowing those things and that's um those things are not going to be coming out if we stay quiet and don't question that right so if that is the plan for us to just stay at one normal a uh, one um state of consciousness you know for them to keep up the lies how is that fair we gotta move past this you know um uh being afraid of questioning um anything we are working people you know we go out and we work you know we pay with our energy at the end of the day we pay with our energy from nine to five and then we pay some more with our taxes right and that all that energy is being used by other figures other frequencies and other entities that we should know about if it's us that they're using our energy from we should know about it and we all shouldn't be blind to it and that is not ethical and that's something that we as a whole need to realize and come together with and have one common priority as a one you know whatever you want to call it species it's um there's you know uh there's uh you could say um love is a religion you know you could treat spirituality as a religion all the religions have spirituality included in it so why is there so many different religions in the first place right if it's all one that's the whole separation of things and that's why religion is not something that brings us together all the time it's something that separates us even more because we know that it's one common um theme to all religions and that's love basically so we have to keep questioning things and keep going um not um fearing what we don't know because that's all that's what fear is is you just fear what you don't know it's not not understanding of it not understanding something and then not being able to question that is causing that fear um feeling in a lot of people so that's instilled because when you're not allowed to speak up and you're not allowed to question the your throat chakra gets closed up your guilt and shame um adds up in your gut 
which then affects your brain and from seeing what's real, what's not real. And they know this, whoever the authority people are, they know this, that this is how our um, science works in our bodies and stuff like that. So um, heart, mind, and gut reactions. It's a trying, you know, that's that try, the three coming in again. But it all goes back to one, you know? So, um, to keep our um, throats open, we can't be put in situations where we are um, suppressed and everything is suppressed. The more we're suppressed, the more we have social anxieties. There's half the world lives with you know, um, anxieties and um, types of depression, and that's all coming from not being able to question things. Episode, we're talking about migration. We're going to be going over this 10-minute video. It's on um, how did Indians migrate all around the world. So um, let's just listen. 400 years of Britain in India. Now, obviously, migration is the movement of people. In fact, although we assume that migration only happened after the British came to India, it's been happening for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years before that. So we're focusing on migration. Wait, I just want to make this clear. He said, before the British came to India, Indians have been migrating for years and years before the British rule, okay? and from India after the East India Company established itself in India. And now I'm going to get Edward Anderson from the University of Cambridge to explain more. It's important to remember that migration is not a new phenomenon whatsoever. People have been moving around the world for, well, as long as, as, long as humans have been on the world, they've been moving around the world. There's economic factors, of course. There are political factors, for instance, conflict or war. It's more than just one diaspora. We can trace uh, Indian migration to Britain for at least 400 years in line with the history of the East India Company's first forays into India in the beginning of the 17th century. Um, and the then- East India Company in the 17th century migrated to India, okay? Obviously From going right Europe. up to the present day. Laskars or sailors um, would be, were recruited in quite large numbers to work on particularly merchant navy vessels. During this period, although they were prohibited from settling in in Britain, many actually ended up doing so, living in different parts of the UK, in particular London and other docks around the country. They might start families, there might be economic reasons why they wouldn't return. A lot of people were moving from areas which were hit by drought or famine or food shortages. So in the 19th and 20th century, Indians started to move in the masses. But where did they go and what did they do? Let's see what Ed has to say. Beginning of the 20th century, um, Indians began to settle in East Africa in quite large numbers. And particularly people were coming to trade and to set up businesses, to set up shops and so on. And under the indenture system... I'm just going to rewind that for a second. ...in the masses. But where did they go and what did they do? Let's see what Ed has to say. Beginning of the 20th century, um, Indians began to settle in East Africa in quite large... So Indians began to settle in East Africa. Okay? Africa was mostly not as populated back then. Particularly, people were coming to trade and to set up businesses, to set up shops and so on. And under the indenture system, people were recruited for contracted periods, usually of around five years, and they travelled to work in various parts of the British Empire, from as far as Fiji to places like Mauritius, and also the Seychelles was an important place, also the Caribbean too. So the picture that I'm looking at, from central India, it goes out to East Africa, then Guyana, Trinidad, Suriname, um, Muratis, and the Fiji um, Islands. So these people are migrating heavily from to these particular um, uh, countries. 
involved, but they were bonded, so there was limitations on freedom and one had to work for the people. They were bonded and that's why they, there was limitations on freedom. ...that one had signed up to work for. They signed and up to work. in many senses, it wasn't really a step up from slavery. And this it is was not a step up from slavery. to subsequently by Hugh Tinker as... It was a, a new system of slavery. slavery. So, in the early 1900s, Indians began to move everywhere around the world and settle into colonies and began working. And this is probably the reason why so many of our grandparents are from countries like Fiji, Mauritius, Guyana and even Trinidad. So while this was going on, World War One began to kick off and Indians played a huge role in assisting the British armies. The Indian involvement in World War One and World War Two was huge. World War One um, was July 28th, 1914 to November 11th, 1918. It's That's July 28th, 1914 to November 11th, 1918 really recently that we've started to recognize that uh, more publicly about 140,000 or so served on the western front often they would come to britain particularly those that were injured would come over to britain to hospitals to recover in the period following the second world war is traditionally considered to be the beginning of this period of mass migration one of the moments that's often seen as this start of this period is the arrival of the Empire Windrush. And they were welcomed to Britain, according to the headlines of the time, Children of Empire. Wait. In the period following the Second World War, the Second World War. traditionally considered to be the beginning of this period of mass migration. Mass One migration. One of the moments that's often seen as this start of this period is the arrival of the Empire Windrush. Empire Windrush, T.E.W., arrived from Kingston, Jamaica, in Tilbury Docks, Essex, 1948, with around 500 Jamaican men, women, and children. ...were welcomed to Britain, according to the headlines of the time, Children of Empire. So they were still part of... So they of were Children of Empire, and it arrived from Kingston to the British, from Jamaica, 1948, with around 500 Jamaican men and women. British Empire, the headline in the Evening Standard Windrush. actually read, Welcome Home, at that point in time. So it's interesting to see how... Things have changed remarkably since then in terms of the tabloid uh, way of reporting on on migrants to this country. So, by the mid-20th century, communities from the Caribbeans and the South Asian subcontinent started arriving in the masses to Britain. But why were they coming there? Well, first... So, the Caribbean, from the Caribbean, he said they were get going back to Britain. There are loads of reasons and some of these were job opportunities, better lifestyles and Britain had just formed its NHS. NHS. Now NHS. Listen to this. Your new NHS. On on July 5th, the new National Health Services started. Anyone can use it, men, women, and children. There are no age limits and no fees to pay. You can use any part of it or all of it as you wish. Your right is to use the National Health Service does not depend upon any weekly payments. The National ins- Insurance contributions are mainly for cash benefits such as pensions, unemployment, and sick pay. So they came up, the British came up with the NHS now. Um, The NHS had just been started, which was also an important factor for attracting migrant workers. I just want to put out there the NHS, the National Health um, thing, was founded on July 5th of 1948 under colonizers who formed this NHS, that's how we get our family doctors now and how we have so many different specialties of doctors now is through this program, NHS. Overseas, and actually created. you can trace you know, where those employment opportunities were uh, in terms of where we have large uh, migrant populations in the UK. Northern uh, mill towns of uh, the, the industrial centres of the, 
the Midlands as well during this period. Tens of thousands of Asians in East Africa moved to Britain. And so tens of thousands is- of Indians in East Africa moved to British Britain to... This is what they do to colonize the people. They came up with NHS and they take the ancient technologies. I'm not going to speak too much further, but this is what it is. In which these countries New system of slavery. Over a very short period, the numbers are quite substantial. Under varying degrees of coercion, uh, Asian populations were were pushed out of Africa during this period. And of course, the most... So Asians were pushed down to Africa during this period. ...instance of that was Idi Amin's brutal expulsion of Asians in 1972. So let's talk about Asian hate for one second. Like, for one second, can we um, just... Just for one second, can we talk about fucking Asian hate? Um, slavery for once, for once, for once, please. In which people were given just 90 days to leave. 90 days to leave. Almost all assets were seized. And uh, this was uh, a particularly important moment uh, in the history of uh, Asian There was around 20,000 people arriving during this period in Leicester. There's a lot of concern in the UK over, you know, this category and over how to deal with that category. And very quickly, uh, quotas were brought in and laws This land is my land. That song was made at this time. Which actually obstructed entry. Britain was really turning its back on... The Immigration Act of 1971, Chapter 77, Arrangement Sections, Part 1, Regulation of Entry into and Stay in United Kingdom notions of imperial commonwealth subjecthood many people felt that this undid the kind of ideas of of what it means to be part of the british empire that the british had been promoting for many many years and these were all efforts to try to restrict migration during this period we had criteria brought in in terms of skills and language requirements um, educational levels and so on so in response to this huge influx of migrants coming to the uk the government of britain introduced acts and laws that made it increasingly difficult for people to come to the uk and settle down so i've definitely heard stories from my grandparents and like family members about migrating from East Africa to the UK. But what exactly was their story? A very successful, hardworking, particularly Gujarati uh, communities were professional, English-speaking. So when emigrating to Britain in the 1960s or 70s, they brought a lot of this with them. The British were perhaps not so welcoming in in the late 60s and early 70s. And this was a period in which there was great discrimination. Many will remember who were, who were alive at the time that the Leicester Council even put an advert in a Ugandan newspaper saying, do not come to Leicester. So although Leicester is a thriving multicultural city today, um, you know, it's, it's not been necessarily the sort of smoothest of processes and it's been very challenging for, for many people as well. But all of these things are seen to contribute towards what has been you know, very successful uh, East African Asian communities in this country. So now that we've had a little bit of an insight into Indian migration, what's going on today? Well, research shows that people that had moved from India to the UK are doing the exact opposite because the situation in India is changing. As the lifestyle gets better out there and as the country develops, people are actually moving from Britain back to India. An important part of this story relates so to India. So people are moving back back to India from British after they ca- they figured out So when we're thinking about migration to Britain, we shouldn't just be thinking about how this has changed Britain. It's really important to also think about how this has changed India as well. India. And communities in India have been We can't just keep thinking about how it's changing British India all the Britain all of the time. We have to think about how it's changing India at at a particular time. Can't keep thinking about our colonizers and how they're they're um, you know, how they they could get um how they could be functioning and then India falling down various different ways so if you go to certain and also it's like they have stipulations and 
restrictions to how many Indians can come into the United Kingdom. But as far as them coming into India, they could do it whenever they want. They don't have any stipulations. You understand? Parts of, of Gujarat, many parts of Kerala, outside India, across South Asia. We see a very clear, very obvious way in which migration has changed these places as well. Through remittances, of course, but also all sorts of different transfer of, of people and communication as well. I mean, a lot of people that moved first to, to East Africa from India and then came on to Britain have since moved on to North America, for example, and actually also returning back to India. And that's an important part of the migration story as well, which a lot of exciting research is being done at the moment, thinking about how migrants have changed communities back in India, and particularly for economic reasons, and particularly professionals, because of the sort of development that India has seen. And very interestingly, a lot of the people that are moving back are people that weren't even born in India. You know, they might be second, third, fourth generation. But, you know, their, their affinity and their connection to India is still there. They perhaps know the language uh, and they have a desire to, to return to India. So it's obvious that although migration was introduced to us through colonization a lot of the times, it has become a part of our culture and we're constantly on the outlook for a better lifestyle. I'm Pale Patel and I hope you enjoyed this video. All right, guys, um, this YouTube channel is called... Um... 400 years so if you want to go and look at look it up they have a lot of videos on um all this migration and how everybody's been um traded and uh put into different places like basically it's like when you take a you take a flock of birds and you 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 and they're in one place and then you just a trucker comes and you take all the birds and they put them in the back of their truck and then they take those those birds and then take them all the way in the other side and then just place them over there that's basically what has happened to the indian population and they've been placed in different places and taken out of their homelands and um you know for in pursuit of um health benefits and stuff like that for other people so um i hope this gives gives a lot of you a lot of people who are listening some kind of um direction and to where to research where to do things and that's the whole point of me posting um and making this podcast right now is um let's try to get on the same page as in we're not so different okay and um don't ever ever say go back to your own country to me ever because I, I i i in 2022 somebody has said to me go back to your country now if i'm the only one that has to hear it everybody has to hear it that's why i made this podcast so if i have to go back to my own country there's a whole bunch of ancestors of mine here and the united states has to do, do the same thing and um then you're gonna all all you're gonna be left with is a bunch of gothic 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 um no good gothic type uh uh agricultures and you know it's going to be very hellenistic for you to um say go back to your own country because some of you don't even have a a trace back to where your lineages go so um i suggest Find your own class, find your own country, find out your own nationality and don't worry so much about me, you know, and where I'm going, you know, find some peace of heart and um, find truth, love and balance, peace and much love and power, flat power. So this documentary that I'm watching is on YouTube, I'll check it out. Um... I don't know the journalist's name, but it's unreal. It the it's on real stories. My parents are cousins. Family inbreeding documentary on real stories, and I want to play um, from here. So. Initiatives is the way forward. You, you are the against the idea of it being a public health issue, but many neat. people we've spoken to, many doctors and people who work with local authorities, say that the cost of the NHS is absolutely enormous, and therefore we need to make it a public health issue 
so as to reduce the problem. Of course we have to tackle it, but it's not like smoking, where people want to smoke and the public health uh, campaign is trying to stop them smoking. These families don't want to have children with these diseases. Uh, we're all on the same side. They just need help. They're not going to change their cousin marriage uh, 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 straight away because it's part and parcel of their, their community. And their community is very supportive of them. What they want is help with these specific genetic disorders. And with the new technology, where if there's political will, we're not, we're not that we need funding for the services that uh, uh, will provide. Uh, so basically, genetic. it's kind of greedy um, behavior to be doing all this. Um, uh, by the end of the documentary, you'll see what I mean by that. What I mean by when I say greedy, because it takes a lot of medical needs and um, care and, uh, you know, things for these people who at the same time the they've introduced genetic screening and testing for common blood disorders such as thalassemia for all of their patients really i just wanted to speak to you again and, and talk to you about um thalassemia and the transmission of today dr rizwan aladina himself a british pakistani is genetically counseling Hulsam Harji, who is originally from East Africa and married to her first cousin. Hulsam is a thalassemia carrier. She has one healthy baby, but wants more children. So you would either pass on the normal one or the one with thalassemia, and same with your husband as well. So in terms of combinations, this is the dangerous combination when the child has both thalassemia gene and that child would be thalassemia major child but that is one in four chance yeah. okay the other possibilities are the children being carriers which is helping patients make informed choices is a priority for dr ali dina he says he's done this with the help of local religious leaders it's just taken a good time for about almost 20 years to change attitudes getting the support of the clergy that is the key I think at the end of the day, if you do not have the support of the religious leadership within your community, particularly in a Muslim community, then your message is not going to get through. This is not an attack on Islam. It is not an attack on Islamic principles or its fundamentals. It is merely um, concerns from fellow Muslims regarding um, health risks. It is fine to marry your cousin as long as you know the risks that you're taking and as long as you get yourself tested and you're not in an affected partnership. But then, if you look at the amount of genetic illnesses that there are actually there, you can't test for everything. So the sensible thing would be to say, if you can avoid these, um, these partnerships, then it's actually better. We can do marriage with first cousin. According to Sharia, it is clear. I myself marry with my first cousin, my two brothers also, and many other people in my audience. But the reports are in favor that first cousin marriage is the result of disability children. So these are the reports which they showed me. I, I agree with them. Okay. Because Imam Sadiq Qureshi is the director of the Minhaj al-Quran International Mosque in Forest Gate, London. He's married to his first cousin and has two daughters. One of his children was born with a form of inherited deafness. The other suffers from a rare recessive disorder called marble bone disease. He regularly tackles health issues in his Friday sermons and isn't afraid to talk about cousin marriages. It's very clear cousin marriage is permissible in Islam. It is not you can say you must do that or you must not do that. These are the suggestions, guidelines. So what would you say, based on your personal experience, what would you say to you, the people who come to this mosque? I must say as a religious scholar that people must think on this issue and people get awareness, people must learn, go to the GPs, go to the, their consultant, and they must learn about the couple. They are intending marry, marriage with their cousin. They must think before they are taking their decision. If they feel any symptoms, 
any genes, okay? So they must test themselves before marriage. In future, might be they get a big situation. Now, in this country, there are many facilities, so they must go for the test, and then that will be uh, that will be better for their future. According to Islamic viewpoint, this is the big jihad to bring the health full society. It is the big jihad of this time. Azmat and Mum are at the hospital for his latest checkup. Come on, let's have a look now. That's what it is. Right, 156. Of um, some of these uh, religious leaders and um, like imams and stuff are, you know, doing. They are working on it, but like I said, it does cost a lot of money, and um, and it's not just you know in Bangladesh, Pakistan, and all that. It's everywhere else as well, and um, it's deeper than what I'm talking about. I can go in a, a little too deep, but. I'm not going to go there. You might have to catch me in person and talk to me about certain things. Can't be ta saying everything on here. It's, even though it's Truth Hurts Radio, you know how um, how dangerous it could be to tell the truth. So, just to be safe, I'm probably going to delete my last episode and post this. Alright, much love, y'all, and um, stay aware. Um, oh, and... um. As far as me and my family goes and um, them, like, they started, my cousins, like, they all dated outside of, not all, they um, come, some of them married outside and, um, you know, I would probably, I want to do the same thing. I don't want to be stuck with my mom's kind of, like, in her traditions. So, you know, I did get a for into a, uh, I would say, forced marriage. They're not going to say that blah 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 but um yeah I will talk about it more one day you know but not today so um yeah guys uh just keep on you know being aware that's all much love and see you next time thank you for listening once again truthers radio phoenix are you gonna what? No. They just got an executive order. They're going to be all right. It says black femicide. What Real don't talk. you understand about that word black? We get all the time. Are you going to cover uh, what this Asian woman was killed or this Real white talk. woman was killed? Are, are these black people asking you to cover people outside of our community? I've really had what's going black on, women what goes send on. me stories, but mainly non-black like, women. And I'm just shit. like, listen. Um, well, the natives are, first of all, stop. Y'all aren't being killed every five hours. No. It's just not happening. Yeah. It's just yeah. not happening. Y'all aren't being slaughtered in these streets. Just drinking down in, and it ain't happening. dream catching over there. And like, I don't oh, care oh. what numbers you bring me. Psychedelics, It's please. not happening. But I've had black women say, well, they're women so of color. But I'm not a woman a of native, color. Bro. This doesn't say woman of color femicide. Uh, this it shit crazy if you go in the hospital as a, as a black woman. Like, you, you guys don't know what happened. Especially on. when you do have to divvy the numbers up and recognize it's a that there's really a really sick, sad world, and they want to do optopsies all the time, and a lack of people even caring. And or it's all because like, it's they just want to study. Like you guys need to put and then, and like research Henrietta Lacks and tell me this shit is not crazy that the CDC is based off of Atlanta and all this stuff. It happens over there and in New York and trafficking, like it's all in your fucking face. I'm tired of this shit. I post missing black girls and missing black women, and then here come people. And then people There's a native just... woman missing. Okay. What do you want me to do about it? There's a black boy missing. Okay. There's a, a black and missing. I don't, I, you know, I want the little black boy to be found, but this is black femicide. Yeah. I don't understand why. 
I know you because I think they're used to black women taking up everyone's fight. Yeah. And that's not what we're doing. We're not taking up everyone's yeah, fight. Yeah, we're not There's like no... everybody's karma dharma and, you know, uh, free, like, um, you know, we're not no everyone's a uh, little sl slave over here. You know, I'm, I'm I totally understand this, and it pisses me off. I can only do so much of this to clear up some confusion. We uh, must speak some truth. With the truth, we will uh, it will help disrupt the fear that people hold inside of uh, telling the truth in first place because people, you know, seem to get killed over telling the truth. So, you know, I'll come back to the thing about Henry Nicholson. The narratives who fought the Spaniards at Mobila uh, near the present site of Mobile, Alabama, were probably a branch of the Choctaws. After leaving Mobile, the Sota and his men reaching a province called Papalea, Papalea, I think I'm pronouncing that right, it sounds familiar, according to one source, but to a river called Apopalea, according to another. See, this, believes that these this, this is the stuff that keeps me going, and um, knowing that I'm in the right, right time, right place, right situations and stuff, because there's not just me that's doing this, there's a lot of other ones other people that um on the same same wave you know so um it's not just i definitely established the indians as just trying to get to the well, they were they are apparently variations of the old name the chocolate this is on overview the treaty of the 1786 or the long hairs the um the wearing of the long hair treaty, by friendship old men between and Indians. women was a unique custom which set them off from the other Indians of the Southeast, the Indians of the Southeast area. The next mention of the Choctaws occurred in narratives of explorers and traders who provided information of French activities in the early part of the 18th century. The French were the first to have extended contact with the Choctaws. Beginning with the settlement of Biloxi in 1699, they early came into friendly relations with them. <laughs> Beginning with the settlement of Biloxi, when these people came and settled in 1699, the Choctaw early came into a friendly relationship with them. This is important. This is why we're skipping to this part. Okay? As believed of this, the Treaty of Peace was signed in Mobile in 1707 with the Choctaws and other tribes in Mississippi Valley from Mobile and New Orleans, as well as Biloxi traders. traders. Alright, so it's, you guys gotta check out the rest of this, um, cause I'm still doing that, and doing my own research, and um, just wanted to give that little spiel. So, I just wanna get it clear that families that inbreed, they are not concerned about, um, the um child's uh health because they're more concerned about their wealth they're not concerned about health because health includes healing thyself so the only reason that these families interbreed and marry is to keep the wealth in the family disregarding health period. And how the NHS is involved with this is because they are righting their wrongs because they didn't allow these families to heal, but instead gave them a maritime law, admiral law. And these are pale people who gave um, Indians way before um, 1776, before the declaration was written, um, the pale people came to India to set up an NHS. That's how you have a family part 
practitioner, and then you have specialist doctors. You shouldn't have all these do- different ass doctors. Should only have one doctor. So when I was born, we'll get to that part later. But um, so uh, the main, yeah, that's all I have. Uh, period. That's it. playing the life like it's a movie, like it's a stage, and y'all just acting. So for all y'all, take a bow. No one's watching. Bitches is my sons, and I'ma go and get some bibs for them. A couple formulas, little pretty lids on them. If I had a dick, I'd pull it out and piss on them. Let me shake it off. And we ain't making up. I don't need a mediator. Blow steam, radiator. Shit is on them. I don't need protection. I already got that. I don't need lies. I already see through that. What I need and want, I don't get. So get that through your head first. For all you, me, myself, and I, people. And then you will be able to overstand why truth is so important to I.